Hi, welcome to Off Script. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're back. Andy, where, where, where have we been for a month? What happened? We've been suffering uh, technical difficulties, but we've still been going to the movies. We sure have, man. Also, my phone's on. Uh, we have been suffering technical difficulties. That That's an understatement. So I can explain, and I should, because we've been gone for a month, one of our longest hiatus in show history. And it's almost entirely my fault. Uh, last time we were doing an episode, uh, just about a month ago, four weeks ago, we finished up the episode, episode 153. We recorded it. It was great. If you only listen to our audio episodes, you probably haven't heard it yet. Because I, anyway, uh, we, we live streamed the episode. And it was great. It went to YouTube, went to Facebook. If you watched it, thanks for hanging out. But right after that, right as I was editing the show, my computer crashed and for a month, I've been trying to get my motherboard swapped, and now I have a CPU thing, and it is like a freaking nightmare, and I have been very poor about managing the show on the side. Uh, Andy's been very patient with me. I hope you all have been as well. Andy, we had a red letter show. We got like a month of stuff to cover, and we only have an hour to do it. We got a lot, yeah. Yeah, we and, sure uh, do. October has been a hot month for releases. It has. Uh, we believe it or not, in the month we have not been doing a show. We actually have been going to see stuff. Andy much more so than me, so he's going to be holding down some of these towards the end. Uh, here's what I'm thinking: non-traditional format. Uh, Andy and I were talking about this before we got started. What we're going to do is we're going to do three big reviews in this episode. Normally, we do a little news, a review, a little middle segment where we talk about something small, a second review, and then the show's over. Instead, we're going to just hit some news real fast. We're going to do reviews for. Uh, do we have an order for these, Andy? <laughs> yes, yes, we do. <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, we're gonna do reviews in in some particular order. We're gonna cover Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Uh, we're gonna cover Halloween Kills, and we're gonna cover No Time to Die. We've seen all three of these features in theaters. We're excited to talk about them with you. After that, we're gonna hit some mini reviews, stuff that's important, but maybe we don't have as much time to spend on it. Namely, The Many Saints of Newark, A24's Lamb, which Andy went and saw. I have not seen it, so it's gonna be a little. A uh, little correspondence from him there. And then also uh, Ridley Scott's The Last Duel, which Andy also has seen. He's been killing it going to films, and I'm very impressed. So Keeping the theaters, I'm, single-handedly keeping the theaters alive. You're going to have to bring the knowledge, Andy. These movies are not killing it at the box office, so you're, getting the, you're giving us the inside scoop. That's right. That's right. Uh, so, Andy, lots of news. Lots of things have happened over the last month. What, 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 what do you want to talk about? All right, so we're just going to touch on uh, some of these real quick. Um, some big things that happened in the last month. Uh, number one, uh, Scarlett Johansson and uh, Disney settled their their lawsuit. Um, she had sued Disney about her earnings uh, with Black Widow going to streaming. Uh, that was a big deal, uh, and they've they've settled as we uh, had said they would. Yeah, if I recall correctly, there was some kind of tweet that went out from Disney saying they were looking forward to seeing Scarlett in like one of their next. I don't know, straight to Disney features or something. Yeah, so like, not it, only did they resolve it, but uh, she's going to continue working with the House of Mouse. I guess it really is just business. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Uh, next up, uh, Venom 2, which came out at the beginning of the month, um, had a huge box office opening with $90 million, which might be a uh, pandemic best or ve very close to it. Um, huge opening for a comic book film. Not surprising in, in some ways, um, but it is funny because... A lot of films pushed, like uh, we said, Mission Impossible 7 and uh, Top Gun Maverick, both pushed to the uh, next summer. Um, but Venom doing really well at the, at the box office. I could say I myself was surprised, but we'll, we'll get into it more when we talk about the film. 
another big headline. Uh, we really excited about this. Uh, actress Jamie Clayton uh, is going to play the new Pinhead in the Pinhead uh, remake uh, coming out next next year. The new Hellraiser uh, movie, yeah. Yeah, they, so they're supposed to be doing this like come kind of completely new reboot. I think it's probably, uh, I think it's, it's actually done filming, but it's going to come out in 2022, I think on Amazon Prime. Uh, Jamie Clayton is best known for uh, The L Word and also uh, Sense8, I believe. Uh, but that's big news, Having a, we're going to have Lady Pinhead or some sort of maybe androgynous uh, p- Pinhead. I'm personally excited about that. I think uh, it would be easy for people to be like, oh, they're, they're gender swapping Pinhead. No, dude, that's going to be rad. Pinhead's all about the whole, uh, you know, succubus demon thing, dragging people to hell. Like, I think gender's a little irrelevant. Why not have a chick pinhead? It'll probably be cool. Right. Yeah. Be good. And um, all right, so getting into some things more recent. So over the weekend, we had DC Fandom, which was a big DC event where they kind of announced a lot of things for their shows, comics, movies. They sure did. Um, And one of the the big things we had was the uh, release of a new trailer for the Batman starring uh, Robert Pattinson uh, himself. <laughs> and uh, this was a hot trailer. It it looks, we, we got a little bit of a look at the Riddler who's look, looking like it's going to be the main villain. It looks super gritty. It looks even yeah. darker and grittier than the Nolan films, if that's possible. We got a good look at Catwoman, at Penguin, um, the new Batmobile. And uh, it got me pretty excited. I, I watched it a few times. Yeah, it's a really slick looking trailer. Uh, Robert Pattinson, of course, as a young Bruce Wayne. Uh, Andy Serkis as Alfred, his butler. Uh, Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman. Colin Farrell as Penguin, and a ton of makeup. That is him, right? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. And not and, only, uh, yeah, not only is he, yeah, unrecognizable. He also just has a completely different voice as well. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Wright is Commissioner Gordon. Really interesting cast. And Paul Dano as what appears to be a young Riddler. Uh, very fascinating. It's got a lot of that, like, Heath Ledger as Joker casting energy. Some of these seem really erratic. Some of them seem really exciting, but the trailer looks rad. If they can stick the landing, if this movie comes out and it's good stuff, I mean, I, I think they got a hot property on their hands. Yeah, I mean, I think people get so excited for, for Batman, and a lot of this did kind of remind me of the Dark Knight or, like, the Nolan trilogy, but I, I think that's on, on purpose, a lot of kind of homages. And I also have to remember... Like that movie's kind of old now. It's actually thirteen years old, and I mean, there's there's middle schoolers who will not have seen The Dark Knight. So, um, you know, for them, a lot of this is is very new. Oh God, that makes me feel old. Yeah, that's 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 actually very true. Dark Knight is like old now. I'm an old man shouting at clouds. Uh, and hey, one more thing before we jump into movies. Uh, there's been stuff getting pushed back, like lots of stuff getting pushed back, right? Yeah. What's, yes. Okay, you know, you do know where I, I'd love to actually expound on this one and act like I've read the news, but I, I okay. unfortunately haven't. What's what's moving around? So Disney moved a ton of their Mar- basically all their Marvel properties got pushed back by uh, anywhere from two months to to four months, um, and I don't have the the full list, but uh, things like um, Doctor Doctor Universe, <laughs> Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is getting pushed to to May. Uh, the May release, which was Thor: Love and Thunder, is getting pushed to July. The July release, which was uh, Black Panther: Wakanda Forever, is getting pushed uh, to the to the fall. So everything's just kind of it's a domino effect. All the Marvel properties for their next year are basically getting pushed back by uh, about two to four months, uh, depending on the property. Yeah, and also the big one is Indiana Jones Five, which has been delayed a ton. 
has been de- delayed a full year and will come out in July 2023, so almost two years. They've shot, I think they've shot most of Indy 5, right? I feel like I remember seeing set photos at some point, but maybe I'm, yeah. maybe I'm misremembering. I don't know. I did see, uh, what, Harrison Ford's going to be 82 when that film comes out, which, you know, seems old on the one hand, but then again, dude, Samuel Jackson is in his 70s and he's like in all the Marvel films. Or as many as they want him to be in, I guess. Like, I'm not that impressed by an 82-year-old. You know, Clint Eastwood's like 90 and he's putting that movie. 82? <laughs> Come on, that's young. Uh, yeah, this is, I guess, a, a, a sore result of what happens when you have only a few studios that really own everything. It's a bummer to see a bunch of stuff all get moved around. And I never really love where everything goes. Something always gets pushed to January. Something always gets kicked to, like, early February. Something gets pushed out of Oscar season. Like, it never really feels like anybody's mm-hmm. happy. But, you know, for the most part, I guess I get it. Some of these make sense. Well, and the other thing, it's it's like Marvel is pushing, is replaced with Marvel. You know, you're just pushing back one Marvel movie and replacing it with, with a different one. You sure um, And there's still the DC stuff has to come out as well. But it means we're only going to get three Marvel movies next year instead of four. Yeah. <laughs> well... I suppose what, that's, whatever shall we do? I suppose that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Oh no. Uh, rip off script. <laughs> what are we going to talk about with only three Marvel to, films coming out here? Have to only, only watch bold cinema. My, my head gets dizzy. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, well, we're excited to see what, what Marvel films are coming up, uh, whether there's three or four or whatever gets released uh, next year. And so if you want to keep up with us and, and Marvel movies and find out if they're worth your time, subscribe to Oscar film review for more. Anyway, sorry, shameless plug to plug to, plug the show uh let's jump into reviews uh the first one it looks like we've got them taking the summary on this one uh and it's 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 halloween right i got this in order it's halloween yes halloween for sure thanks yeah it's gonna be halloween kills so halloween kills is the story of michael myers and laurie strode continuing in the next thrilling chapter of the exciting new saga created by David Gordon Green and Danny McBride in 2018. Of course, Halloween Kills is a sequel to the 2018 feature Halloween, which is like a sequel reboot of the 1975 feature Halloween from John Carpenter. Uh, It features, obviously, Michael Myers, Laurie Strode, and the town of Haddonfield, all the wonderful properties we know, with soundtrack by the original film creator, John Carpenter. Really good stuff. Uh... Halloween Kills is uh, a more serious spin on, I think, what the 2018 Halloween feature did. Uh, Michael Myers has escaped his fiery tomb uh, from the end of the first Halloween film, the 2018 Halloween film, I want to be clear. Uh, And he is wreaking havoc on the town of Haddonfield once again. And Laurie Strode has to rally her courage and escape the hospital, maybe, and stop him uh, while the town of Haddonfield uh, finds their own ways to tackle uh, the boogeyman. Uh, it's, it's an exciting feature. Uh, I think it's just under two hours. I want to say like an hour 45. Andy and I had the pleasure of going seeing at the historic Texas theater. Andy, what do you think of Halloween kills? So I think I like this more than everyone else <laughs> did. Um, I'm not a huge like <laughs> Halloween fanboy. Like I've only, I literally the first Halloween movie I saw from beginning to end was the 2018 one. Like I haven't, I have still haven't seen the original. I haven't seen a bunch of the, but like Michael Myers is such a, a well-known horror property. Like I've known about him all, all my life. Um, but I, I did think I enjoyed this more than the average person. I don't know a lot of the lore and this movie features a lot of the, the kids from it's either the original film or some of the er- earlier films. <laughs> I can, um, I can fill in some of those blanks. Yeah. Okay, all grown up and old, and uh, th- they're a big part of the the story. They're they're trying to band together and, and fight Michael Myers. 
uh, himself. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of really gruesome kills. Like the 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 gore and body horror is a uh, um, pretty pretty stark. Pretty it's you know it's good horror stuff. The 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 story gets a little bloated in the middle. The there's this kind kind of really long second act uh, that gets a little bit bogged down in like uh, the town coming together. The kind of you know evil dies tonight. Um, yeah. <laughs> But uh, for me, overall, I, it was a good time, and it's you know it's a sla- slasher fic, which which I often say that slasher genre is kind of dead. It's a thing of it's a you know artifact of its time. Uh, but this this really w- worked for me in, in a lot of a lot of ways. It definitely the the stalker kills are are really disturbing. Um, so overall, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, Halloween Kills is uh, surprisingly delightful. I think uh, at times, I should say, if you're a fan of the older films, and he's got a unique perspective, he hasn't seen them. I have, uh, by the way, I should clarify, uh, earlier I said John Carpenter's Halloween came out in 75, it was 1978. Sorry. Thanks, IMDb, for filling in on the podcast. Uh, yeah, I've seen a bunch of them. And and the older Halloween films, you know, originally started as a very simple concept. Originally, they were going to be anthology films. Only the first one was going to feature Michael Myers. And then they were going to just spin off and be a different spooky story each happening on Halloween night, right? That's what those were supposed to be. But the first one came out and it was so crushingly popular. The studio demanded Carpenter make another film featuring Myers. At the end of Halloween 2, Michael Myers is supposed to like die, escape. And then Halloween 3, they're on to Season of the Witch and they're doing totally different stuff. Of course, historically, we know this didn't work out. Halloween 3 came out and was a huge bomb because Michael Myers wasn't in it. Then Halloween 4 had Michael Myers and Halloween 5 had Michael Myers. Now Michael Myers is in all the Halloween movies. And the Halloween films tried to make a lot of efforts to explain the lore of Michael Myers, which has never really been any. Uh, at one point, he is revealed to be Laurie Strode's brother, which was a surprise. And that's part of the reason he wants to, to murder her, because she's his sister. And that's what he did when he was six years old. Right. And another one, uh, he is part of a cult. And he is like a force of evil that's raised by a religious cult on the town of Haddonfield, which is crazy. Now, these new films, uh, starting in 2018, Halloween and now this one, Halloween Kills, they retcon all of that. They don't pay attention to any of that lore. They basically act like Halloween 1 and 2 happened, and then we're here. Uh, so that's the deal. That's kind of where we're coming, coming from. It's all these years later. Uh, it's We're under the assumption that this Michael Myers is not Laurie Strode's brother. He's not part of a cult. But Halloween Kills does make some efforts to try to kind of explain who he is and where he comes from and really like what michael myers is is a force of evil uh and the town of haddonfield rallies around that Uh, like my like like andy said there's a bunch of former cast members of the films in this movie which is weird uh we have anthony michael hall falling right out of uh you know john john hughes the breakfast club and 16 candles but now he's older of course like it's old 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 anthony michael hall uh, and he plays Tommy Doyle, who was uh, one of the children in the original Halloween that Laurie was babysitting. Uh, she He was next door, I think. Uh, the girl Laurie was babysitting is also in this film. Uh, they went and found her from the 1978, and she's actually in the movie. It's it's the girl. She She's here as she, she was getting stalked by Michael Myers, I guess. Uh, a nurse that was in the original film is in this film. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> she she's avenging Dr. Loomis, I guess. Um, so a lot of like Halloween lore. And I realize I've been talking way too long to say all of this, but I appreciate the Halloween kill Halloween kills tries to make efforts like to tackle this stuff, but it actually, I think is a detriment to the film. It's too much baggage. 
And the, and yep. the movie's trying to hold up too many characters and too many people who want to try to get one over on Michael Myers. And it's like, this is too complicated. Yeah, ultimately, one of the things this movie suffers from is uh, too many plots going on at the same time. Mm-hmm. There, There's, of course, Michael Myers escaping this fire and coming to, uh, uh, you know, we assume to kill Laurie Strode as he's been trying to do all, all his life. Um, there is this thing of the town banding together via Tommy Doyle and, and the other survivors of, of the first, first Myers attack. Uh, coming together, rallying the town. We're going to fight him. We're going to defeat him before he <laughs> defeats. Evil dies tonight. They evil chanting. dies tonight. Evil yeah. dies ha- tonight. They chanted a million times. Hashtag day. evil dies tonight. Yes. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, Hashtag evil dies tonight. Yeah. And then and then it is whatever Michael is, is doing, which is seemingly just kind of stalking whoever at will his kills. But the these plot lines are, I think, meant to intermesh, but they, they really don't. And the, the, the one that's probably the messiest and could have been left out was this whole like rallying the town together. I like the idea of the the you know the four survivors coming together. Like they would have been cool if that was like a group of four or five of them, but they like rally literally the whole town <laughs> yeah. to the cause and then it it's just kind of chaotic. Right. At one point, Tommy Doyle pull, pulls into a street corner, uh, gets out of his truck holding a baseball bat, and he says, I need help for people who aren't afraid to get their hands dirty. <laughs> like, yeah, there's just they're all going to go murder Michael going. Myers, um, which, of course, if you've seen any Halloween films, um, is, to be fair, is decent setup for some exciting kills. Because as, as we all know, like nobody murders Michael Myers. That's not how it works. And anybody who thinks they're going to get one over on him totally isn't. Uh, cause, cause he's a giant, you know, animal in the, in the body of a six year old man. <laughs> uh, and, and so this is good setup for people to roll into Michael Myers crib or wherever he's at thinking, Ooh, we're going to get one over on him. And that that's good. It, it creates a kind of plot fed conveyor belt of bodies for Michael to run into. And the kills in this movie, uh, as in the title, Halloween kills are really tremendous. Um, those actually <laughs> yeah. work really well. Uh, Andy, do you want to expound for a minute before I gush yeah, I about mean, how good the kills are in this film? There's a variety of kills. Uh, there happen variety of ways. They're very, very violent. And see, that's the thing. Maybe that's why I didn't mind the shortcomings of this movie, because I was just like, I'm just here to watch Michael Myers kill people. Yes. <laughs> like, like, uh, and he does. And he do- does a lot. And it's, I mean, you could make a whole drinking game out of uh, the different kill- kills and, and things. Um he kind of does the problem is though is he kind of does seem indestructible and it they walk this line of like is he is he a man is he supernatural we never really know it seems like they kind of try to explain it or hint hint at it but we never really get there yeah it's it's a shame you know i i kind of thought maybe that would get it's hinted at at the end of the previous film when michael is locked in laurie strode's house uh, in the basement and laurie strode and family light the house on fire and leave and the whole thing goes up in smoke. And it's like, well, that's the end of Michael Myers, right? And it's kind of hinted like, well, maybe he somehow gets out. And this movie actually has uh, an explanation as to how that happens, which is, you know, a little, it's a little phony considering the end of the previous film. That house was ablaze. There's no way anything walks out of that house. But uh, Halloween Kills tries to kind of have its cake and eat it too by, by on the one hand, ascribing him as essentially a mortal man who is fortunate or lucky that he doesn't get shot or stabbed by other people. And that can be a lot of fun. At the same time, there are scenes when, like, he clearly is defying the laws of mortality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's just not a problem. And it's like, I, I don't know if you can always, you know, toe that line. I think what's so fun about Halloween as an idea is just the simplicity, right? It's just a crazy guy in a neighborhood, right? It's just a babysitter trying to get away. Like, it's 
it's simple. And, and this movie does have a tendency to get uh, overwrought with that stuff for sure. But the kills are a ton of fun because those are the moments when the movie pushes the plots aside and it draws way down to like one person sneaking through a house, hoping Michael's not in there or two people with a flashlight and a pistol looking for Michael Myers and you don't know what's going to happen. And like in those quiet moments, when you get the jump scares, when you get the fun, uh, even a couple of laughs, this movie's not as funny as the previous one. I think Danny McBride was asked to rein it in a little bit to the film's benefit. Uh, it's a ton of fun. And the audience we watched it with, they, they were laughing. They were gasps. Like, <laughs> see people jump in their seats. Like, it's great. It's a lot of fun. Really great kills. Yeah, it'll yeah, it'll definitely make you wince and make you kind of like cringe in, in pain, uh, which is good, which is I think that what this kind of uh, horror movie should do. And this is, again, part of like usually why I say the slasher genre is, is, is dead is because it's just not scary. Um, and this isn't necessarily very scary either, but it's still, it's terrifying when, when like you're trapped by Michael Myers, you can't, you can't defeat him. You can't escape. And he's going to like brutally kill you with his bare hands. Yeah. Um, I think this movie's shot really well uh, to speak towards the wincing, which I did in multiple scenes. And at one scene I started, I just started laughing because, because the kill was so, so brutal. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't believe I was watching it in the theater. I was like, Oh my God, that's horror. That's horrifying. Um, they use a lot of practical effects, which is a great throwback to 80s Carpenter. I mean, his his work with, uh, I can't remember his name, his work on films like The Thing, The Halloween, like his practical effects work was always really solid. And there's definitely some in this film. Uh, and it's it's gruesome, man. Oh my God. Even if you know something's fake, even if you know, okay, that's, that's, that's obviously a fake dummy head when it explodes, it's still brutal to watch in the moment. And that's a testament to how well the film's made. Um, I think the film's really well shot. I actually like the editing a lot. I think it's over I, I, editing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I like the lighting. I don't like the editing. I think it's over edited. Um, outside of the kill scenes, it moves fast and there's a lot of cuts and the plot trying to juggle Anthony Michael Hall's character and other survivors and Laurie Strode and her family who are mostly relegated to the background for this film. Uh, it's just too busy. Um, it's just too much. Yeah. It, like we said, there, there's really too much going on in, in the overall uh, the plot gets bogged bogged down. Like I said, in the between, and there's also the scenes that go to like nostalgia 1970s, um, which is probably neat if you're more familiar with those. Uh, but you got yeah, things happen in 1970. You got the the young kids. You got the town. You got you got Laurie Strode in the in the hospital for pretty much the whole movie. Most of the film, yeah, yeah. Um, her just kind of pontificating in from her. She's, she's waiting for the third film, Andy. That's what she's doing, but they can't, yeah, they can't a, say that a on lot screen. Of, a lot of people have said this feels like a filler episode to it the is, final, for sure. which will be yeah. Halloween ends. Halloween ends year. will be the next one. Yeah, I, 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 dude, we got to call it right now. I, I bet anything the 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 tag for that film is Evil Dies Tonight. Has to be. They literally chant it in this film. Yeah. Like I, I, I'd be shocked if it was anything else. Yes, this, it does feel like a bit of a filler. Laurie Strode is kind of, you know, she's she's sitting in the corner for most of the film, uh, whereas you kind of got other characters with the rest of the front. The benefit of that is, with a messy plot and good kills, is you actually really look forward to seeing Michael on screen. Like, when Michael shows up, the film is going to get better, because that's yeah. when it's going to zoom in and hone in on what works and, like, what's functionally good about Halloween, which is suspense, and this guy who is just a madman. Uh, and I love it. I, I, I had a surprising amount of fun with this film, even though I don't know if it's the best in the, in, in the series, uh, even, even the new ones per se. Andy, any other thoughts for recommendations? No, I'm ready. 
Andy, would you recommend Halloween Kills? Yeah, I think it would, especially for, I mean, if you're a fan of the series, I mean, you you got to see it. Um, if you're just looking for some scares and some, you know, some gore, gore and violence, uh, some good Halloween fun, uh, this is also for you. Like I said, it it feels a little long and it gets a little bogged down in the second act. But overall, I, I had a good time. I laughed. I winced. Uh, you know, I cried. Um, all, all all emotions and it's it, it it's killing at the box office is as well. It had a huge fifty million dollar opening and it what also came out on, on the Peacock streaming service, which a lot of people didn't know about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people missed that. I had to look up before the show whether or not it was on Peacock or Paramount Plus because I I wasn't sure. Uh, I would recommend this as well. I think uh, especially if you're more up on previous Halloween films or if you just generally aren't really going to be bothered by like kind of the looser plot trappings. Like Andy didn't seem to have a problem with it. Not having seen those original films, like there's enough here clearly to enjoy the meat of what's happening. The kills are good. It's, it's a little chaotic, but I think it's fun. If you're trying to go in and, and see everything older, like I was like, you might be a little low. There's just a lot going on in the plot. I guess I'm saying, but it's really fun kills. I do think it's better than the previous one. Uh, and, and, probably good in a theater and i think if you don't have the means if you're just gonna watch it at home like maybe watch the first one right before this because it really this just feels like a bridge to something a little bit and i think if you're watching at home it'd be really easy to just go from like one blu-ray to another right or like finish watching halloween and roll right into this one and then hopefully in a year when right. halloween ends so otherwise good stuff i was impressed with halloween kills not not too shabby and speaking of not too shabby, we should jump into our second film. Uh, the movie is No Time to Die. So, No Time to Die is the final film in, J- in, in Daniel Craig's James Bond sequence of films. Sorry, I'm, I'm still organizing myself on the back end. Got notes together. Here we go. Yes, uh, in No Time to Die, James Bond has left active service he is no longer a double o he's officially retired he's out of the business all right he's not doing the semi six stuff anymore then until uh felix Leiter comes back into his life played by jeffrey wright and tells him hey i got i got one last job one last job you gotta come do this for me and uh you know upon reluctantly agreeing to maybe consult uh james bond ends up getting pulled into a world of uh of mystery and intrigue and a, a villain armed with a dangerous bioweapon that uh, of course is set to uh, ruin the world if james bond doesn't swoop in to save the day uh it's a surprisingly poignant send-off for craig this is his fifth film uh in the franchise i think it actually does a great job of uh you know kind of kind of kind of giving a good tip tip of the hat to to him and, and kind of his legacy and, and where he's bought the bond brought the bond franchise but it does suffer from a plot that's just a little bland andy what did you think of no time to die well as you said bland james bland <laughs> james bland <laughs> um well, no, that, right. that's that's a little yeah that's a little harsh that would be yes. that would be a good uh um you know newspaper uh title for sure Th- no uh this this movie's okay um for something that we waited for for a long time and was continually pushed back and they were uh, very protective over the release date and, and ensuring that it would not come out on on streaming. Um, so for something that was kind of hyped and, and protected that much, it's to me it's really just kind of okay. Um, I didn't see the previous Bond uh, film, so there's I have a lot of like I have no idea what's going on with a lot of this plot because it's yeah. def- it's definitely continuing from the previous movie. 
so that that kind of harms it. Uh, I like the the first half, but in the second half, we get a lot of the good action sequences, uh, the kind of stuff right that you've seen in the trailer. That's when we get Anna de Armas. Anna de Armas is only in this movie about as long as she is in the trailer, <laughs> and I was angry. A, it's a light spoiler. Uh, it's worth mentioning. Yeah, she's she's barely in the film, which is criminal because she's really good and steals her scenes when she's on screen. I mean it. Yeah, um, and it, I mean it's it's fine. It just again like what what was all the excitement about? What was the reason for not releasing this? Because it's for all 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 the the kind of uh, fight they put up to protect in this property. It's it's just kind of okay. Like it wasn't bad. I don't I don't think it's a bad film. It's a little long, but it's not a standout either uh, of this mo- more modern Bond. Uh, I definitely like Casino Royale and Skyfall more. Yeah, it's it's a shame. Um, I think you're right. This film feels like two halves of 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 a larger whole. The first half of this film is really solid. Um, you know, it's two hours forty three minutes. It is it is an endeavor going to see No Time to Die. So word of the wise: go to the bathroom right before you walk into the film. Uh, you're going to be there the whole time. Uh, the first half of the movie feels like. Um, a modern rendition of like classic Bond as we know him, right? Craig has grown very far from his his performance in Casino Royale as this young, gruff, very new hotshot 007 who's quicker to throw a punch than he is to use a gadget. Now he's got gadgets. He's got the Aston Martin. Like he's 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 the suave James Bond who wants his martinis shaken, not stirred. Like he is every he's, he's got Q and money pennies at the office and M is is there. It's a whole thing. He's got everything 007 would have, except, of course, he's not 007 anymore. He's retired, and he kind of gets back into it, and that stuff is really exciting. But then the second half of the film, once we get into this plot of, like, hey, there's, you know, a a bioterrorist who's going to destroy the world if we don't do something quick, it just feels bland, like, and it just feels tired, and it's a shame because that's where... Uh, our, our, our our experience with Craig should be rising into a crescendo and it feels almost like the film's backwards. Like the, kind of that best stuff is up front and, and, and the end is good. It really is. And, 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 and it's got a very poignant kind of conclusion to, to his arc as bond. And then a good, I think a surprisingly effective setup for what's next in a roundabout way. Uh, but, uh, it just you come out of the film thinking, yeah, that was kind of lame, and like it's a shame because I don't. I think in the in hindsight, it's not, but the last chunk of it just feels a little dry. Yeah, I think if we had seen it when it was supposed to come out, which was about April twenty twenty, yeah. um, or even six months later, I, I don't think I would have been as critical because it would have just been like you know it's a James Bond film. But because they protected it and made such a such a stink about about the release and how you know. We only do films. We only do theaters. That sort of thing. I, 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 I was just like, oh, this is it. <laughs> for, yeah, for that. It's it's really unique. You're right. Like their their marketing campaign across this thing has been monstrous. Um, I mean, here if you're if you're watching on Facebook Live, here's a quick practical example I can show you. Uh, this this wallpaper I've got up to show our film while we talk about it. Uh, it features the original release date in theaters, April 2020. Look at this, like gold and blue color. He's got the sweater on. He looks rad. It's great. Okay, now here's here's the updated marketing for this year. Classic Bond. Like tux. He's got the bow tie. He's got the little pistol, black and white. It's so different. And it's a shame because like, <laughs> I feel like this, 
they represent something different and they shouldn't, but they do. And like, ultimately I, I think it's good stuff, but I, I, I do like Bond and I do like what I saw, but man, they really held on to this thing. Like they had a tiger by the tail and it's not, it's not better than like Casino Royale or Spectre. I don't think it's, it's like, it's like mid tier, I think for the five, which isn't bad, but you know, you just, it's important to know what you're getting into. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I think a good send off for Bond. Uh, I do want to talk briefly about performances. Uh, I did enjoy everybody in it. Of course, Craig, I think is actually having a lot of fun. It's kind of an older Bond who's maybe a little bit more, a little bit more sensitive. I think it's important to kind of distill Bond down to a, a finer, classier gentleman for the 21st century. Uh, and in this one, he does that. He's not too womanizing. He's pretty chill. He's got a couple lines that are, are tasteful, I think. He's a family man. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right um yeah and 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 i think that's probably good uh additionally anna de armis is tremendous in the film and is is barely in it uh lashana lynch is who i'm thinking of plays uh nomi kind of kind of swaps in as the new 007 she's really good she could probably carry her own film films uh you know rami malik is our bad guys a ton of fun ralph finds is m i mean so, solid work all around it feels like a quality blockbuster production i mean it really does yeah i i thought that that rami malik was uh he's kind of i'm not gonna say he's overdoing it but he's like he he's turned up in. To, he's yeah. turned up to 11 because he doesn't yes. really he, you know he gets to do, do basically villain monologues and he does them really well he's got this super creepy like glass glassed over glazed yeah. over look uh, like it's, he, he i he might have been taking it more seriously than like the filmmakers did because it's yeah. like the, the, his the, his scenes almost don't do his delivery justice when the camera pulls in close and he doesn't blink for a minute <laughs> and delivers a stray monologue like it's creepy man he's good at it yeah yeah um and th- then yeah like you said lashana lynch and uh anna darmus are are fantastic i mean craig's always been been good and then we have the the other m money penny i forget the q <laughs> ben wish ben, ben money penny is uh naomi harris who's also great god i watched watched pirates of the caribbean 2 again not that long ago dude yeah, she's, she's so she incredible actress my god why doesn't she get more work anyway jeffrey wright so, i mean solid cast it, it feels exactly like the blockbuster it's been sold as yeah. um it's just long and i, I think it suffers from a little bit of, of pacing because of that Mm-hmm. which is a shame, but a quality send off. Uh, Andy, while we're on it, before we get to formal review, uh, who do you think, I mean, any, any ball ballpark guesses for next bond, man, I can't, I can't even guess. Everyone's so boring. The, the only interesting, uh, rumor I've heard is Henry Golding. Henry Golding's exciting. I would be very excited to see Henry Golding as bond. Uh, additionally, I forget his name. Uh, Jean Rene page from Bridgerton fame has been talked about. He'd be very exciting uh i know deb patel won't get it but i love the idea um it's it's gonna be a while because i mean yeah right and it's they're kind of yeah they're gonna have to restart reboot this and it's gonna kind of start over from the beginning they gotta re right you've got you've got to go in a different direction assumedly craig will not be appearing in the next film i mean that's not how that's not how bonds typically work so they're gonna have to do something here so there's probably three years to the net to the next bond yeah Anyway, Andy, uh, would you recommend No Time to Die? I would recommend it for fans uh, of the franchise. If you're a diehard Bond fan, uh, you're probably going to know know a lot more about what's going on. You're going to understand a lot of the references. Apparently, there's tons of references to older Bond films all throughout the movies. I didn't see any of them because I'm not 
that familiar with the the property. Um, if you're not a huge Bond fan, you might save it uh, save it for for streaming. It is super long. Um, and if, like I said, if you haven't seen the last the last film and all of kind of the, these five films fairly recently, you're probably going to be a little lost. Yeah. Uh, I would recommend it as well if you're a Bond fan. Um, if yeah, if you've seen none of them, probably pass. Like you're you're not gonna be ready for the two two hour forty five minute endeavor. Uh, this movie is. It's just gonna feel like a lot, and you're gonna want to get your phone out and do anything else. So, uh, but if you, if you enjoy the films, if you have seen a couple of them in theaters, which you, you know you may have, if if you're up on Craig Bond. You don't have to be any kind of diehard Bond fan, right, to get what's going on here. Um, but there's some really good nods to the originals back in the day. I, I think you'll enjoy this. I do, you know. Uh, you're gonna, you need something to go see with your guy friends, or you want to take your dad or your son out to go see a film or something. Like, go for it. Yeah, no time to die. It'd be, it'd be a ton of fun, right? Get some popcorn. It'd be all right. And and I think if you want to see, maybe get a look at where Bond might be headed next. This, this might be your last chance. I mean, from here, Amazon has purchased MGM, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we really have no idea which direction they're going in next, but each bond, I think the, the most successful ones, you know, they blaze a trail a little bit. They, they do something new. They bring something to the role that hasn't been there before. And I don't know if anybody has a good answer for what that's going to be. Uh, so we'll see, um, you know, keep it on off script for more. We've got one more proper review to do, and then we got three quick reviews. My God, Andy, we're we're over halfway through the show. I'm thinking we can make this work. I, we I can feel do okay it. about this. We can yeah. do it. Uh, you want to take the summary for the next one, please? Venom, Let There Be Carnage. So this is the sequel to the 2018 Venom film. Uh, this one is directed by Andy Serkis, bringing back Tom Hardy as Eddie Brock slash Venom, and also introducing Woody Harrelson as Cletus Cassidy slash Carnage. Um, we find Eddie Brock and Venom still kind of fighting with each other, being at odds, uh, living in the same person in the same environment. And then we also are introduced to Cletus Cassidy, um, like I said, played by Woody Harrelson, who is uh, a serial killer of uh, international renown and who's been put on on death row, and he he's he's awaiting uh, you know the death penalty. We also get some backstory of him. he has a love interest named Shriek, uh, played by Naomi Harris, who was also in in Bond. Um, he he eventually. For some reason, he wants to tell Eddie Brock his life story. They meet, they kind of exchange uh, some unpleasantries, and uh, and from the trailer, we, we see that Woody Harrelson gets infected with the whatever the symbiote is and becomes the car- carnage thing. Um, the plot is a little simple because basically Carnage's whole thing is just trying to rescue his girlfriend um, of like 30 years, a- after 30 years in prison, um, and Eddie Brock and Venom kind of fight and break up as a couple, for lack of a better better term. Um, and they have to eventually make up and come together to to fight uh, Carnage. It's very kind of uh, thin beer standard uh, comic book plot. Nothing too groundbreaking. Uh, but that's our setup. Zach, what do you think? So... <laughs> Uh, fans of the show may, may remember I was not a big fan of the first Venom film um, I didn't really understand what Sony was trying to tackle when they were um, you know making something that was kind of like a Marvel movie but not really um, I guess they had already started um, their new Spider-Man films at this point so they had already kind of tied into 
what Marvel was doing, kind of their direction for comic book films. But Venom was a bit of a different thing. And, and I wasn't really a fan. I didn't really like it. Uh, but then it came out and Venom is huge internationally and also has like a huge online following. Um, and, and it turns out this film is, I think, trying to angle maybe a little more towards that audience. Uh, it's a bit self-aware, as people have said. But the issue is, I don't think when they were making the movie, they meant for it to be self-aware. I think that I think that's a result of the shortcomings of the film. Right. I don't think this is a surgically made self-aware film where anytime they did something goofy or funny or made a mistake in the film they thought "Ooh, fans will love this i think it's just lacking and i think people are you know ascribing value where there isn't some there is some stuff in here that i think is effective though and ultimately i did like it more than the first one so while that's confusing andy what did you think (laughs) so uh this is a short film it's like 95 minutes long uh so it's it's not great, but it, it's quick, and so that actually makes it more enjoyable. Um, yeah, like I said, the plot is is really simple. This this weird love story between Shriek and and Carnage. Um, Woody Harrelson doesn't really get to scene chew as he should as as a serial killer, but it's just it's just enough. It, it's like there's just enough plot for you to get to the action scenes. It's it's that kind of film, and uh, yeah, like the the effects are really good. Everyone loves Venom. You know, he's almost it's he's almost like, you know, Joker in, in popularity, like like people will just go because um, this film is not very good. But that's the other thing it killed at the box office. Ninety million dollar uh, opening, one of the biggest of, of the pandemic, better Huge. than yeah. better than the two Marvel films uh, that came out, uh, Black Widow and uh, Shang-Chi. So. Uh, it's it's got a huge fan base and it does do some things right it is uh it's got a lot of laughs there's a lot of good jokes um definitely uh chuckled uh quite a bit throughout out the film um but like like i said unfortunately it's just the plot is just there to get you to the next uh fight scene there are a lot and there's definitely uh stay you know there is a post credit scene you definitely need to stay for and uh kind of points to the future of uh, venom so there's some kind of interesting points regarding regarding the writing because I agree it's definitely its weakest point. Um, there's there's some like in, like jump the shark levels of logic leaping in the beginning in, at the beginning of this film in order to set up later events, right? Like the idea of Eddie Brock um, interviewing this this crazed serial killer for for functionally absolutely no reason at the beginning of the film is never really explained. Um, and that's one of like a series of logical problems that don't fit here. Um, the story for, for Venom, Let There Be Carnage is actually written by Tom Hardy, our lead. Uh, he also helped write the screenplay and he's an executive producer on the film, which means he probably put a bunch of money in as well. Additionally, he is obviously our lead, Eddie Brock, and he voices Venom. Uh, I'm not going to say this is like <laughs> an example of how your your lead actor like writing and funding and starring in your project can go poorly but what i will say is i think this could have used a little bit more a little bit more red pen on that first on that first draft is all like somebody should have gone through and said okay hold on let's string this together a little bit more but i don't know if that was part of the sale pitch sales pitch here like i i have a feeling this was originally written to be short and small and simple so they could turn out a 90 minute feature um, you know, Andy Serkis is a fine director, but he's a bit of an up and comer. He's mostly second unit stuff um, up until recently. Um, it just doesn't feel like they put in the money or the effort to make something actually good here. It feels like they were legitimately aiming for like B tier 
not not going to be good well, enough. Look, it reminds and, me. Like, of, I don't. I don't know why you do that. It reminds me of some of the Transformers. Uh, you know, Transformers like two or three was accused of like they were like filming action scenes before they even had a script. Yeah, um, and that's kind of how this feels a lot. Where they're like, you know, they know they're gonna do some cool motion capture stuff. They're you're gonna get the two symbiotes fighting, and and this is a good comment I, I heard elsewhere that if you're gonna do a lot of motion capture, uh, directing Andy Serkis is is the man to, to absolutely. Do it. Yeah. Um, like I said, the the plot just is isn't very interesting. Uh, unfortunately, Cletus Cassidy isn't as interesting as he should be. I mean, he should be like Joker level, you know, monologuing. Uh, villain and he he really is and like you said we we don't are never really given a good reason about why he wants to talk to eddie brock other he's just like i'll I mean, share my story with yeah, you just that, that's like one basic there's like eight things in this film that happen that you're like why would the characters do that that doesn't make any sense and the answer is just to move the plot forward because like there's right there's really not a whole lot going on in the background uh yeah i mean leading the film i i thought harrelson might be like chewing the scenery and then i quickly realized no he's just getting a paycheck like he he knows exactly what this movie is and he doesn't care um, he has this terrible uh toupee oh god it's so bad yeah it's it's on the it's on the poster oh my god <laughs> anyway uh and that's what i mean like I, I just can't help but feel like everybody making this movie was phoning it in and it's like Except Tom Hardy, who I think is 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 swinging at it and does a good job in his role and as Venom, he's good good voice acting by him again. Uh, and and I do like the Venom Brock situation. Yeah, like like Andy said, there's a bit of a bit of a split. The two of them are like, hey, this isn't really working for either of us. Maybe we should go our separate ways. Um, and that stuff's actually kind of fun. Like I don't mind that, but like that's something that would be relegated to like an issue or two of a series of, of comics, right? Like to, to, to ground that in a whole film is, is a little clumsy and ultimately it just makes the stuff around it feel loose. Like it, it is an interesting relationship. I, I do like the idea of that, of, of Venom being like, Hey man, like, you know, I'm not, I don't take this, don't take this from you. I'm, I'm a sim- symbiote from space. Uh, that stuff's rad, but ultimately like it, it doesn't, it's not enough to carry a whole film. Um, and it shouldn't have been enough to, to, be positioned as that. That should have been a small part of something larger. I wish this was a two hour, you know, really taken serious swing at like something rad. That's what I thought the first film was going to be. And like, yeah, you, you could do a little bit of not a, what's going on here. Yeah. It's not, it's not what these movies are. You could do a little bit of a Hannibal Lecter thing. You yeah. Know, something. And, and it's just like, you have the opportunity to, to do some real interesting stuff, uh, script wise. And they just don't. Yeah. And this one instead leans a little bit more into like the goofy stuff than it does the serious stuff, but that's okay. Um, because the series might be headed in a unique direction uh, due to a couple of, of post-credit scenes that we won't spoil on the show, but stick around and, you know, right into the show if you watch them after the movie and let us know what you think. Uh, Andy, what else do we have to talk about with this thing? <laughs> I don't I, wanna, I'm ready for I don't want to just knock it down, but I feel like I've, yeah, I feel like I'm talking in circles. Yeah, Andy, would you recommend Venom Let There Be Carnage? Uh, similar to Bond, I would recommend it to comic book fans, uh, fans of the first film, Sp- Spider-Man. If, you, if you're in, into this character or comic books stuff at all, you're probably going to enjoy it. If you're looking for a deeper film with, with better like characters and plot, this this isn't it. But it's it's the plot exists for the action scenes, for the CGI stuff. The, the effects are good. Our, our fights are good. It's, it's a quick 90 minutes. So unless you're a fan... Sorry. Go if you're a fan, go see it. If you're not, save it for streaming. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. If you liked the first film and you were able to like see what the first film was doing and enjoyed it, you're probably gonna really like this one. It's it's more of that. 
Um, if you're coming at this for anything like um, like a Marvel Studios experience, you're not going to get it. This is also not a DC Studios experience. It's 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 unique in what it is. But I just I don't know. I don't think I don't think <laughs> I'm just not. I don't know. So somehow this one doesn't doesn't dance for me in the same way as other films do. Like, I feel like I see what it's doing in this one more than the first one. I feel like I, I get kind of the tone and the direction. Um, but I just see so much potential in Hardy and, and and in this character and in the budget they're putting into stuff like this. And like, I don't know. I, I, I hope they do more because um, I think there will be more Venom, you know, in the future. I, I hope uh, he's given some some real dramatic opportunity. Um, we'll see. But Venom of the Bree Carnage, not bad, I guess. Anyway, uh, we are moving on to our final section of the show. We're going to do something unique here we haven't done before, I don't think. Uh, a series of three short reviews. Andy, do we have something we want to call this section? I was thinking something simple like shut up and play the hits or... That, sound, that sounds good to me. All right. Uh, I don't have any music this episode because my computer's on the fritz, but maybe in the future we'll call it shut up and play the hits. Andy, what are we talking about first? Uh, so we're going to be taking a look at The Many Saints of Newark. This is the uh, Sopranos prequel film um, created by, uh, or written by David Chase, creator of the, the original Sopranos show. It takes place in the 1960s and follows our, uh, you know, our original so Tony Soprano and, uh, and company. You know, the, the Sopranos is about uh, lots of characters besides uh, Tony Soprano, his family, uh, his father, uncles, aunts, all these, all these people. Um, the, but the, this story focuses on, um, Dickie Moltisanti, who is, uh, Tony Soprano's uncle. And there's a whole lot of like family things that I'll, I'll try not to uh, get bogged down with family relationships. Um, but it focuses on Dickie Moltisanti, who is, uh, kind of a legend in, in the Sopranos show. He's, he's never in the show himself. He's just kind of referred to, and his son, Christopher Moltisanti is in, is a big character in the show. Uh, but this focuses on the father, who is. Um, I was. I'm trying to remember the beginning. Present, of the I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. He's. He's. Uh, you know, part of this. The fam of the the New Jersey uh, crime family, and uh, you know, he he gets married early in the, in the film. It, basically, everything is bliss. Everything things going well, and then they like most crime dramas, they they fall apart. Um, he has a rivalry with uh, Leslie Odom Jr. character. Odom Jr.'s character, Harold McBrayer. Yep. Uh, they they originally start off as friends and become rivals over the course of the show. Um, and again, this is it's weird. This is a, a Sopranos prequel because it's not really about the Sopranos. Tony Soprano, a young Tony Soprano, is in this, and we see him kind of growing up in high school and hitting a lot of the beats. And if you're Sopran familiar with the show, uh, there's lots of, of flashbacks to the '60s to Tony gr growing up, so it's not a, a bunch of new stuff. And the film doesn't focus on him very much. It's much more about uh, Dickie Moltisanti, played by Alessandro uh, Nivola. We also get a bunch of the other um, kind of hits of the Soprano show, uh, such as uh, Olivia Soprano, Junior Soprano, uh, Polly, Silvio. Uh, you know, all, all these faces that if you're familiar with the show, we see young versions of them and kind of see how they were and, and came to be. So that's that's kind of our, our setup. It's very, it's a little bit of a stock plot in some ways, but um, Zach, what do you think? Because you did see this. Yes. Uh, so for any of you listening out there who are thinking, I didn't watch The Sopranos, 
uh, I don't know anything about this movie and you haven't tuned out yet. Good news. I didn't watch it either. All right. So I'm, I'm coming in just as fresh as you are on this movie. I, I am not up on Sopranos. I watched the first season in college. I need to go back and finish watching it at some point. Whatever. There's a lot of movies to watch. All right. I'm, I'm up on. The, I'm doing this film thing now. Anyway, uh, Many Saints of Newark has to walk a fine line, I think, because on the one hand, you obviously have to pay tribute to the Sopranos and to all of the fans who are going to be watching. That is like your marketing gimmick, right? What makes the Many Saints of Newark stand out from any other mobster movie? The Sopranos. That's the whole thing. Like, that's the thing that draws you in. But additionally, it needs to be an in interesting mobster, mafia, gangster movie. And, and that can be hard to do if you're just paying fan service the whole film. So... It tries to walk that line by setting the film around Dickie Moltisanti, again, played by Alessandro Nivola, who's great, by the way, we really enjoyed it in this film. But it has a problem because most of its, at least initial marketing, was centered around Tony Soprano. Uh, that, that was kind of the look of what was going to be happening here. It was going to be like the Tony Soprano growing up story, when really the film is not that. Uh, he is mostly in the background of the film. He does have some relevant scenes, but for the most part, like he is growing up exclusively in the background. He's not even Dickie Moltisanti's son. Dickie Moltisanti is doing his own thing with his own problems. And those problems make for a decent mobster movie. It's a, it's decent. It's solid. It's not bad uh, with, with good performances, you know, and, and obviously some clever nods to the series that I think I missed most of, but that stuff works. Um, the problem is I think ultimately it may not please anybody, right? Maybe people who came for a fresh mobster movie walk away feeling like, well, that was hollow. And people who came for the Soprano stuff, feel like it they were i don't know misled andy am i yeah i mean so yes no what do you think it, no it's it's definitely a big issue um I, i'm a huge sopranos fan i've watched the series uh twice uh at least and it part of what makes that show so good it's it's yeah it's the gangster stuff but it's really a show about relationships and and power power dynamics between between family members between the family the mafia family um, there's all this stuff about respect and, you know, and also people trying to kind of subvert each other and alliances and stuff. It, if you've seen Game, Game of Thrones, uh, it's very similar to that. Lot, lots of crisscrossing, lots of who, who, who are you siding with now? Who are you with now? And that's what really makes that show interesting. These relationships that are constantly shifting and changing with things that happen, respect, disrespect. Um, and we completely lose that in this movie. Like none of that is, is in that at all. Uh, the other problem is we get, like I said, we get a lot of the Sopranos characters, but they're all just kind of everyone's doing an impression of a character someone else has played. Like no one's really free to be, um, you know, like Junior Soprano, because a lot a lot of the characters are as well known as Tony Soprano, and they're all yes. very very unique. And so these actors are really reined in, is that they basically just have to try to act like someone else. They can't. Yeah really make it themselves and there's also just kind of too many characters this would probably work better as a mini series honestly because there's just so many sopranos character and like junior soprano is a really important character he's only he's barely in the movie tony's barely in the movie um yeah it, it's just it was just kind of a, a weird choice of why this was the story you, you wanted to tell yeah um, if you're gonna bring back all these characters and like i said th they're stuck all playing you know, you know, someone, impressions uh, of, yeah, impressions. Yeah, right. And I, I read a comment that it was like some of them, it looked like an SNL skill, like, like that kind of really bad impression of someone else. It's, it's true. I'll wrap this up. Cause like I said, there's going to be a mini review. We got a lot, we got three, two more, two other films to move through here. We're going. That's but, right. That's right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I did think it has a star studded cast for who's in it. I mean, John Bernthal, Corey Stoll, uh, uh, Alessandro Nivolo, uh, 
I'm sure a bunch of other people that I'm currently not thinking of because I'm of the IMDb page. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but but ultimately, yeah, it, it feels like nobody really gets enough time in the limelight to do anything special. Um, and I kept thinking, okay, how are these characters going to be relevant later? And I didn't really get it. And I think you just have to watch the show to figure that out. I agree uh, with, with so much baggage. It feels like you could have expanded this out from a three plot structure to a five and done it over eight or 12 episodes. Do a miniseries, The Many Saints of Newark. HBO would love it, right? They'd run it. They could promote it for weeks. It could be a whole yeah. thing. Um, relegating it to just a film feels small. I don't know. And yeah. I, I, think, I think they could have done more. Um, any, Andy, any other thoughts for recommendations? Well, I was going to say also, as um, you said, uh, yeah, it's just too too much, and and the uh, the the show, I've kind of lost my train of thought. But For sure. uh, like I said, there's a lot going on in, in the show. The, the, oh, this is just kind of a generic gangster film. That's well, if you're not familiar with the Sopranos and you're just watching a gangster film, it's very cliche. It hits on a bunch. There's a plot line that to me is straight out of Goodfellas. Uh, so it's it kind of fails on that level as well. Yeah. Uh, the tagline, witness the making of Tony Soprano. Kind of. Like, witness the making I, of the person who influenced Tony Soprano. Yeah. Really. Anyway. Uh, Andy, would you recommend The Many Saints of Newark? Uh, I would only recommend it for fan, diehard fans of the show. Um, because it, it was kind of disappointing. It, it's really kind of mediocre, middle of the road. It doesn't really work as an exciting gang, gangster pick. Um you're not a fan you're going to be completely lost there's there are a lot of references not quite as many as as you would think but there's definitely references uh to the show but i think you're just going to be lost because there's so many characters um and and you if you don't understand those relationships going into the movie it's just not going to make a lot of sense yeah i I think i'm kind of in the same boat uh if you're an alessandro Novolo fan i'd say check it out he's great in it uh carries the whole film uh if you're if you're a sopranos fan of course go for it feels 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 like you know so, so some light reading you might want to do if you're excited about the series. Otherwise, I don't really know what the draw is here. Yeah, like I don't I don't think this is going to get nominated for any Academy Awards or anything. Maybe for like set design or costuming or something because it's period. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it does anything really spectacular. If you love The Sopranos, go for it. Otherwise, eh, eh you can do all right. Yeah. Anyway, our next film, I uh, should disclaimer here, the last two I haven't <laughs> seen. Uh, these are going to be Andy-centric. I'm just going to be grilling All him. Right. I got questions hopefully y'all have sitting at home. Andy, what's the first one? Uh, so th- this first film is called Lamb, and that is a uh, this is an Icelandic horror film uh, distributed by A24, which uh, yes. we all know and love. Uh, it, it's directed by uh, Vladimir Johansson, uh, and it stars uh, Naomi Rapace, uh, who we know from from lots of film. Uh, so this this is kind of a, a strange film. We saw the trailer for this, but uh, basically, the, the, it's a family of sheep farmers in rural Iceland um, who you know they, they they just tend to sheep on on their farm. And one uh, Christmas Eve or Christmas day uh they're, they kind of have this miraculous birth um which is already you can tell is hinting at, at certain things um but the, this kind of half human half lamb child is born to them and they take it in as as their own as their own child and we learned that they they at one point lost a child of their own mm-hmm. and so this kind of seems like some sort of a miracle child that, that's been kind of g- given to them and it's like, like i said it, it's it has a head of a the head of a of a, of a lamb the body of a child and they look at it and they care for it and they love it and it lives in the house and it's it's very weird <laughs> and bizarre uh 
this movie's got a lot going going on. I won't talk t- uh, too much more about plot. Actually, there's not too much more more to say. Uh, but there's a lot of um, symbolism in it. It's it's um, it's very creepy. There's a lot of. Um, it just kind of reminds me of The Shining, actually, because they're in this desolate farm. No one is around. You know, it all kind of starts in this big snowstorm. And uh, at, w- at one point, uh, the brother of the husband shows up to the farm because he's kind of ne- of a ne'er do well and always on hard time. So they they take him into you know spend spend some time on the farm, and he's kind of he's freaked out about the lamb child and and that they're raising it <laughs> a- as their own. Sorry. Um, but th- this this movie, uh, so I saw this twice. I kind of didn't like it the first time at it, but it really grew on me, and I ended up seeing it again with a, a different friend. Um, and I really liked it the second time. There is a lot going on here. It is incredibly symbolic. It's very slow. It is very slow paced. Um, but it's definitely visual cinema. It's telling the story through ev- things that you see. There's not a lot of dialogue, um, especially in the first first act. Uh, you're very much witnessing. It reminds me a little bit of 2001 at the beginning, where if you're not paying attention at the beginning, you're going to miss a lot of important things. Um so it was it was kind of a bizarre film. It's grown on me a lot. If, if you're uh, looking for some off the off the pe- off the path uh, off the beaten path horror, um, I would recommend it. So Zach, what do you, do you have any questions? Any, any concerns? What's your yeah? Um, so I, I I guess something that's that's kind of stood out to me for for anybody who uh, may not immediately recall any of the imagery of, the, of this film. It's particularly striking, uh, both in its its very wide landscapes in in the trailer and also of course. Uh, this kind of lamb uh, child that they have uh, that's that's appears to be at least from what I saw in the trailer a very practical effect similar to like Annette like the kind of baby <laughs> puppet doll that just everybody plays straight on screen like that's just reality that's what we're looking at you know it appears we just have like the child the, the body of a child running around like a raincoat and a parka but just like a lamb head on uh, I guess I looked at this trailer, it's an A24 film, and I thought, you know what? Nope, I might be out on Lamb. That just looks too <laughs> weird, man. Like, A24 might have officially jumped the shark for me. Uh, you didn't feel that way. Why? Like, what? what is it about this that you think provides such creep vibes? And is that in the whole film? Like, am so, I crazy? I mean, what's what's going on here? So you get the sense that there is maybe something out there like something watching from afar uh the whole the whole time there are uh, a couple of animals which I, I think are kind of characters there is a house cat there is uh they have a sheep dog um and a couple of stubborn uh, lambs themselves and i think these are characters in themselves that are they they represent other things but you get the sense that something isn't right with like even though they're doing what is kind of the right thing that they're taking in this, this weird hybrid, <laughs> this lamb child and yeah. it's, it, it's they're being parents to it and it's filling a hole that they have. And so it, it seems like all, all is well, but uh, we know that something's not quite right, that this is some sort of not devious, but just something's not right with, with the, the situation. And like I said, we, we get a, a this creeping suspicion, suspicion that, that someone is kind of out there and and that's one of the beautiful things about the, this film it's in rural iceland so you get these mountains and streams and yeah. there's no one else else around um it's not as i, I thought it, it might devolve into some sort of really grotesque ending where like everyone stabs everyone else everyone dies and it's really gory and, and it, it it doesn't do that you know something like midsummer <laughs> or, or i mean the lighthouse yeah especially yeah. With a small cast like it yeah ex- like it exactly just, yeah um the and it it doesn't go that route it it does get 
pretty intense uh, towards the end. Um, like I said, it's highly symbolic. It's The executive producer is Bella Tarr, uh, who also made a very kind of seminal work called The Turin Horse, uh, which I haven't seen, but I've heard a, lo- a lot about. Um, so it, it's creepy, but it's not like, you know, there aren't any jump scares. It, it's Again, it reminds me a lot of The Shining. It's more about mood and pacing and tone and those things. Two more questions, because now we're moving fast. Uh, I saw this film, uh, Lamb, is being selected as the official selection from Iceland uh, for submission to the Academy Awards. Uh, Lamb is going to be in the Academy Awards. Hopefully it will get picked for a couple categories. What do you see it potentially getting picked for or maybe winning? Uh, well, it's definitely going for, you know, best international film. Uh, sure. that, that That's the big one. Um, that's always a very stacked, uh, difficult field to come out ahead of. But it's, like I said, it, it's a very deep film. It's very philosophical. Like while the premise seems kind kind of silly, there's a lot going on underneath the surface. It's a lot about, right. it's about relationships. It's about yeah. motherhood, children. Like Maybe an original screenplay nod in there or something? Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of... Um, there's a lot of religious imagery and iconography. Um, it is not a religious film, but it's like, you know, we're dealing with lambs, sheep, right. lambs, a, a miraculous yeah. birth on Christmas Day. Um, so there's, it's definitely invoking the, those images. I wonder if it's an original screenplay or adapted. Anyway, one more question. Uh, I, I, I believe it's yeah. it's based on a short story, yes. Okay, so maybe best adapted or something. Yeah, they could probably scoop up a writing credit for that. Uh, Andy, last question. Would you recommend a lamb? With, ca- with caveats, only for those, uh, seeking the boldest of cinema. Um, like I said, it, it is a long film. It is slow paced. Uh, yeah. it's really interesting and it's, it's bizarre. I mean, it, it's a bizarre premise and, uh, the story unfolds very, I think very cleverly, but it's, it's pretty. So the first act is seems pretty slow. Um, but the second time I saw it, I, it seemed to go by really fast. Like once I kind of know where it's going then, cause then I'm actually looking for a lot of things in, uh, early on. Um, but if you're, if you're just looking for the, uh, like a fun Halloween, scary film, like go see Halloween kills. That's going to be much more the average person. <laughs> right. Like you'll be bad at me. Um, I, I saw a great comment that said, you know, if you thought the green Knight was too fast paced, see lamb. <laughs> All right. Cool. A lot, lot, of, lot of people sitting quietly in the theater staring at a screen where nothing's happening. Good stuff. Yeah. Right. Uh, all right. One, one last review. We'll keep it quick. Uh, I know you're excited to talk about this one. Andy, please take it away. The Last Duel. So finally, this is the uh, epic by Ridley Scott starring Matt Davin, Adam Driver, and Jodie Comer as uh, nobles in 14th century France. Uh, I, I gotta have to work with these names. Matt Damon plays Sir Jean de Carouge. Oh yeah, I'm looking at these and I'm these are <laughs> ugly. Oh god. He okay. plays yeah, Sir Jean de Carouge, who's who's a noble and is fought alongside uh Adam Driver's character, Jacques Legree. Um and so this movie is has been marketed as a it's kind of a it's a story about sexual assault, sadly, and it's it's about multiple people's perspectives and coming in uh the woman in question is played by Jodie Comer, uh, Marguerite de, de Carouge, um, who this happens to. But the film is about a lot more more than that. So the the film is structured in three different, um, basically three different narratives. You get the perspectives of the three main characters, starting with Matt Damon. And Matt Damon isn't just uh, a warrior and, and a noble. He's kind of uh, he's kind of a pers- persona non grata. He he is 
no, he has made a fool of himself a lot. He uh, he's fought over over land, or he he's been. He feels like he's entitled to a lot of things that get denied to him, and coincidentally, they get given yeah. to to uh, um, Jacques Legree, Adam Driver's character. He's very upset about this. He feels like he's been wronged. Uh, his he he's in line for this captaincy uh, that he that is that also gets denied. Um, the woman he marries, uh, Jodie Comer, while she's very beautiful, she's the daughter of uh, someone who had betrayed the king and and was pardoned. But he's he's known as he's also got a black sheep because he's uh, you know a, a betrayal <laughs> betrayer. Um, so we we get this very frustrated character who's. Uh, feels like he's worked hard and everything kind of gets taken from him. Jacques Legree, on the other hand, Adam Driver's character, uh, is he he's kind of everything good happens to him. He's he's in good with the nobles. Uh, he's good friends with the magistrate played by Ben Affleck. Um, he is gifted land that was supposed to go to Carouge. He's uh, also given the title. And like I said, the... This is where we eventually get into this uh, assault that, that happens to to Jodie Comer, and then we, we get her her perspective. And so we we get three people's perspectives on the same events, and then we also get their perspective on events that other people didn't see. Um, it's very interesting from that place. So there's a lot of political and social things going on, as well as like I said, this is really about this this duel. Uh, which I, th- I should talk about that more. They're fighting for her honor. Uh, in order to prove that she is telling the truth, uh, the, the two men will fight and let God decide, because that was the thinking in the 13th century. Brilliant. Um, it, there is no question about the validity uh, of her claim. I thought this was going to, that's what this movie was going to do. We were going to get three different stories and have to decide for ourselves. That's not what happens. Uh, there, there's not really a question about whether or not. Uh, it, it was a rape. It was just more of the reaction of the town and the people and like the societal kind of views of these things. And, uh, you know, there, there's a, a very brilliant line that said, you know, this is not a crime against the woman. It's a crime against her husband. That's how it's viewed then. And, you know, and the only reason that, that <laughs> Matt Damon character even fights for his wife is because this is kind of his arch enemy and he's taken all this. He's taken his land, his title, and he sees this as an opportunity get all that back it's so he's not really doing it uh for the right reasons Mm. um so i really enjoyed this i i thought it was done really well the three different perspectives is is really interesting it's kind of a rashomon um approach um i i thought it did a very good job of discussing the subject matter and how much that there's a lot of things that are you know repeated today Things like, you know, well, you know, did, did she invite him in? Did she invite, you know, did, did she look at him a certain way? Did she behave a certain way? Um, you know, lots, lots of, you know, she is put on trial despite uh, being being the victim. And, um, yeah, it, you know, it's a testament to how women at that, that point in time ha- had virtually no power. And, and like I said, the only reason anything happens is because Matt Damon is trying to get his land and his, his title back. Yeah. Uh, well, quite the summary. Gosh, uh, I, I think... What's kind of first strikes me about this film, and I, I talked about this in the show previously. I thought the marketing of this film was terrible. I think I think the trailer you can barely see anything because it's eighty percent black. Um, I don't know why they chose to go that way. Additionally, the movie poster features very little. Ridley Scott's a very visual director. He does sword and sandal, right? Like he did Gladiator. This is not his first his first swing at doing this. Um, what the hell? Why can't? <laughs> Why, why why hasn't this been presented in this giant grand epic like it seems so, like that's what it's supposed to be I mean, right I don't know. so a number of things so this this was the 20th century fox uh product 
film um, that okay. Disney that Disney absorbed in the merger, and they've kind of just been holding on to it. Similar uh, to uh, Kristen Stewart's Underwater, like when they bought that and then dumped it in January of this year. Like they were just like, we don't really know what to do with this here. Like, uh, you know, that's yeah. exactly what it is. They, they okay. absorb some properties. They don't really know what to do. It, it does succeed on the sword and sandal part. I mean, the costumes look great. The like you're transported into the time period. There's a couple of, of battle scenes uh, where it reminded me of things like Braveheart or Gladiator. Uh, where you got everyone in their their armor and swords and horses and it's chaos and I mean it looks like you're on, on the battlefield and then when you're in in the palaces and in the castles all that it's very convincing so really Scott does a great job of transporting us to the period. Mm. All right, uh, Jody Comer's obviously tremendous, right? Uh, she she's apparently been great in Killing Eve, a show I haven't watched. She was really good in Free Guy. Um, a role that I, I, I assume, I, I think I thought it was like Emily Blunt. And then I actually saw the film that, oh my God, that's like a new upcoming actress. I don't know who's very good. <laughs> uh, you said in this movie, she might be Oscar worthy. Yeah, she, she really does a standout, uh, performance in, in this and Matt Damon as well. I think they're both going to get uh, nominated. Uh, Matt Damon gets to chew the scenery a lot but as he's like pleading his case for, you know, for this land that he feels is his, for this title that he feels is his. And he just kind of, he's kind of a hothead in general he you know he would do better to kind of keep his mouth shut or to be more polite but he just kind of he can't help help himself so um he's got some great scenes jody comer ha has a lot of excellent scenes as well i definitely think uh they'll um get some noms uh, i want to ask about the screenwriting uh two questions yeah this one and the one more uh, i want to ask about the screenwriting um i it's the screen screenplay was written by uh ben affleck and matt damon Mm -hmm. apparently not teamed on a screenplay since goodwill hunting which is very exciting right like that's that's very cool right um does that come through in the film can you tell they're really tied to what's going on or did you feel like this was just you know that them just just doing the dance i mean if you so, said matt damon killed it how's affleck so oh, oh a couple things so first of all there's three writers uh and the one is uh, in addition to ben affleck and matt damon there's also uh nicole holoff center um and Basically, they all do a different role. So they got a woman to write the woman's part, which was really important to do. Ooh, and then all right, yeah. Matt Damon wrote his own part. And I, and I assume Ben Affleck probably, I guess he actually wrote Adam Driver's part. Um, but yeah, what they wanted to do is write the, the narrative from three different perspectives like we get to see uh, in, in the film. Um, and, and I think that, that works really well. You can tell they're very different uh, from each other. Occasionally, like it's very, you know, it's 13th century France. So everyone talks very with a lot of nobility and thing, but occasionally it kind of gets very kind of, it, it almost sounds modern in some, some ways. And also like no one has an accent. Everyone's just talking like American English. Huh. So it's, it seems like they couldn't really uh, decide on that, but they, like I said, they, it, they use three different writers. They used a woman to write the woman's part. And I think that's very crucial, especially something uh, discussing this kind of subject matter. Last question. Uh, would you recommend the last duel? I would. I really liked it. It's a little long. It's it's a full two and a half hours. Um, that went by pretty quickly for me. I was in, into it the whole time. Like I said, you get you get these three perspectives. They're very important. And uh, again, this this is the and this is based on a real story. And this was the last officially like sanctioned duel in in France, uh, in like 1370, I think think it is. Uh, and you you get this brutal. The film both starts and ends with the duel. You get the beginning of it, and then you get to see how it ends. And it's I mean it's brutal, like you know Braveheart style uh, hack and slash. Yeah. Oh God. Sure. I, I mean that's 
It's Gladiator, right? That's that's where that comes from. Really, Scott knows what he's doing. All right, well, good. I, I'm I'm glad to hear it's so much better than I than it looked, because I, I have totally blown this film off. So to get a ringing endorsement from you isn't nothing. I definitely need to find some time to go see it, or hopefully catch it on streaming, or hopefully catch it somewhere. Uh, but believe it or not, that's the end of our show. My God, Andy, we haven't done one in a month. This is it. We're on the end of it. How do you feel? Man, uh, it feels good. Feels good to do do a show. There's been and it, we said October was going to be stacked. We got a lot coming out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, including stacked with with uh, show delays for me. I, this feels great. I'm so glad we we're able to knock this out. I know it was a bit of a rush to get through the last few, uh, but it feels like we've covered everything we've wanted to watch. Next week we're coming out with some new stuff. Classic show. It'll probably still be on this laptop. I hope everything is recorded smoothly. If you've heard the show smooth from here on out, awesome. It worked great. Uh, I, I hope it's all going well. Next week, Andy, what are we watching? Well, we have uh, the big sci-fi re- release from Denny Villeneuve, uh, Dune, oh, which we've Dune. been waiting, uh, yeah, patiently for. This is going to be really exciting. This is uh, oh, I can't remember the the guy's name. It's a big epic from the 60s adapted for the screen. It Frank said, Herbert. Uh, yeah. yeah. Frank Herbert. Herbert, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, Dune. Yeah, Frank it Herbert. It was said that this was impossible to film, uh, and it's done. And that's going to be available on both HBO Max and in theater starting this Friday. And then we also have uh, The French Dispatch, um, which will be coming out in, in theaters. <clears throat> and also upcoming at the very end of the month, uh, very exciting, we have Last Night in Soho, Edgar Wright's latest horror film, and Antlers. Man, it is going to be quite the week, uh, weeks at the movies. I'm not, you know, we'll get, we'll get to Antlers in a couple weeks, but for what it's worth, Dune is going to be cool. I'm also very excited about Wes Anderson's French Dispatch. Andy, not so much, but I think you can appreciate bold cinema. I think you'll at least hopefully get a chuckle. <laughs> I hope you won't be bored, that old movie, but... Uh, it'll be fun. If you enjoyed the episode today, if you've been wondering where we've been, if you want to keep up with where we're going, follow us on Facebook at Offscript for more. That's typically where we do updates. Unless, you know, my computer fries and I can't handle it. <laughs> Otherwise, that's where we'll be. It's where our live streams are. Uh, we, we keep our old episodes over there. We're also on YouTube, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. You can follow us over there as well. And if you want to keep up and, uh, you know, maybe write in the show and let us know what you think about these films or what's coming up or recommendations for things we should watch, email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. Check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com, where you can see full episodes, clips, interviews, Andy's doing for cool stuff in news. That's a real thing. I should have asked you about this most recent one, but whatever. Maybe we'll talk about it next week. Uh, Good things are coming. All right. So I'm sorry we've been out. I'm so glad we're back. Uh, Andy, anything else? I think we covered everything, right? I hit all the... I think I'm ready. Yeah. From all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.